more Sports Now podcast. We cover your team on both sides of the Hudson. I'm Steve Titchener here with veteran sportscaster Matt Lachlan. And on the line today, we welcome to the show the Brooklyn Nets radio color analyst, Tim Capstraw. And Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. How you doing? Fantastic. So the Nets, 30 and 29, sixth in the Eastern Conference. The playoffs are likely, although I don't want to give it away. Is this what you envisioned uh, for this team this year? Not really. No, I thought they would be better because I really wow. respect what they're doing as an organization, whether it be in management or the coaching and the progress. But I didn't think they would be playoff. I thought they could possibly play maybe meaningful games in March that might be uh, mean something towards going towards the playoffs. And that may end up being what actually happens. But I thought they would be on the other side of it, on the outside looking in. Now they're in the inside uh, in playoff position right now, but very close. And um, yeah, a little bit ahead of schedule. I've been uh, pleasantly surprised and really have enjoyed it. What's put them in your mind ahead of schedule, uh, Tim? Because you look back early in the year, you dropped those eight in a row, and now suddenly, as you said, in a playoff spot, although, you know, fighting off hard chargers, you know, like Miami and Orlando and trying to stay in the mix there with Charlotte and Detroit. I think they lost those eight games so in such a tough fashion, in such a, uh, a depressing or angry way that I think when you lose a game here or there, you might learn something. You lose eight in a row and a number of them come down to the last couple of possessions, everything stopped. Like everybody was so angry. They had enough. It was kind of a, one of the coaches organized a players-only meeting. The players got it together. They got after each other. Uh, it made a difference, and then they got a lucky bounce the next game. It's funny how that works, too. If you can just get one lucky bounce that a guy was wide open for the Toronto Raptors ready to beat us again, and then he missed the shot. And then everything started to gain a little bit of confidence. And I think players players really respect coaches. Really, they really respect the Nets coaches. But occasionally when there's a player, a veteran player, that speaks to them and is really on their level, it can be very, very impactful. And I think not just one player, but several of the veteran players of the Nets uh, spoke up and really made a difference to guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell, uh, and how to play the game, how to finish the game. And uh, it has made a world of difference, certainly after that eight-game losing streak. And, Tim, the guard play's been great. Let's talk about D'Angelo Russell coming off his first All-Star game. I mean, he's become the player everyone believed he'd be in Brooklyn. I mean, a world of talent. Uh, Talk about his confidence, the way he's progressed in Brooklyn, uh, and his game in general. No, he he is really special. But, again, I've got to give coaching staff a lot of credit. Kenny Atkinson's an unbelievable uh, coach of individual skills. And he can't do it as much now because he's the head coach, but he certainly has been able to teach all the people that work with him and a, a number of, uh, of the other coaches. So the idea of getting better while you're a Brooklyn net is a really big deal, whether it be physically and the, the fitness level of these guys, emotionally, uh, and, and then, uh, and then fundamentally. And he is really, uh, I know D'Angelo Russell came in as a second pick, but he could easily, not been uh, or still be struggling uh, significantly in the NBA. I think the coaches uh, deserve a lot of credit. I think they play a style 
that is not that rigid. It's it's free flowing. They allow the players to express themselves. That's perfect for D'Angelo Russell. They have a lot of space. It's a guard oriented offense. The NBA is really geared towards uh, guards right now. The rules really favor them. So he has a lot of freedom, a lot of confidence, and Kenny Atkinson has been able to connect it with him. And he is not easy on him at all. This connection has not been, oh, uh, he's my pal. He has sat him. A lot of people talk about some times within the season where D'Angelo Russell hasn't played in the fourth quarter. Well, I watch every time he's subbed out of a game. It's usually for a reason. And the coaching has been going on for months. It went on a ton last year. He sat him a lot. So he got. he has really, really learned from that uh, immensely. And then the other guys have improved. Much like this development program, Dinwiddie was a was a D League, G League player. Uh, he's gotten a ton better. Guy Joe Harris was uh, was out of the league, and now he wins the three point shooting contest. I think fitness. I think the, the organization, and the management, and then the coaching have contributed to D'Angelo Russell, but it's contributed to really everybody on the team. A number of these guys are more fortunate to be in this team, on this team at this time, in my opinion. You know, Jimmy, I got a couple of questions about that. The first one I'll ask, and then I do have a follow-up, is, you know, you talked about development. I see it on the hockey side. You know, I mean, I have a great love for the NBA, but my professional career now is with the Devils and the National Hockey League. And I talk to coaches all the time, and they say the talent level is as high as it's, as it's ever been, but the need to coach is as great as it's ever been because these guys, they just don't get it. They can outskill you, but they don't necessarily understand the game. Is it similar in the NBA? Are we overlooking the fact that as great as these guys are and we know about all their AAU exploits and they come out after one year in college, et cetera, that they got to learn how to play. Uh, great point. I mean, that is a great point. Isn't that the truth? Because most of the time, AAU basketball is pretty much a showcase kind of thing where they're kind of going up and down the floor, playing a lot of one-on-one. And, and you know, guys – in their high school, some guys have good high, you know, there's some unbelievable high school coaches out there, but you don't know which guys get these guys as coaches. Then they play one year in college, and all of a sudden they're pros, and the pro game is different than anything else they've ever done. Uh, so I could not agree more that the coaching is what I have noticed. Now I'm in my 17th year with the Brooklyn Nets. Wow, where People, did the time go, Timmy? Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable, right? Um it, it it is it is amazing to me that people so it's not a players league. People call it a players league because well, there's five guys in the league that are so unbelievable that yes, you could probably do anything. But it is a coaching league. It is a communication league. It is a it is a players talent league. But if that if that isn't uh, if that isn't taught, if that isn't fostered, if there's a the best thing the Nets have right going for them right now is a team-like atmosphere. It's the same things you talked about in a little league and youth basketball still pertain to the NBA, whether it be coaching, uh, communication, chemistry, and, and that's what's going on with this team right now. It's a, there's some pretty good players, but it's an overall chemistry, and that comes from uh, management, a guy like Sean Marks understanding and playing on a number of teams and also being the worst player on a number of teams. Sean Marks, Sean Marks played more game on more teams in more years in the NBA and played the least amount of minutes. 
That tells you one thing. He knows the value of being the last guy on a bench or the last three, four guys on the bench. So yeah. there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more about the, about the coaching aspect of these young guys. It is huge. It is critical. And that's why Kenny Atkinson got a job in the NBA and his biggest reputation thing was he helped develop uh, insanity, right? Jeremy Lin. And so the developmental coaches are becoming much more important because uh, these guys are so young and they haven't really been developed. And then the overall coaching of the entire game comes into play. And, and people also don't realize that for the most part, players want to get better. They, they're the most competitive guys in the world and they want to get better. So if you can resonate with them, you've got them for life. So I want to go back then specifically to Kenny uh, Atkinson. You mentioned what he did with the Knicks. We know with Jeff Teague, he turned him, him into a great player when Kenny was an assistant in Atlanta. What makes him specifically such a great coach and has been able to bring out the best, particularly in guards? Well, uh, first of all, he can right now do every drill that he's, he's talking about. He's like as he, fit as can be, he man. Can, he's 50-some years old, and he can go on the floor and demonstrate it perfectly with speed, quickness, and agility, what he wants to be done. Now, he doesn't do that all that often, but if he has to, he can, because he's got guys like Jacques Vaughn. He's got everybody, all these coaches are in incredible shape and can, and can first of all, they can show it with example. And I just think he's the modern-day coach of, yes, he expects accountability. Yes, he, he can be tough. But it doesn't – the players do not dread going to practice. You know what I mean? And they don't – and in the offseason, the guys spend their whole time in Brooklyn. They want to be in the, in the facility every day working at it. So that tells me that he has a way about him that, yes, he can he, – he's accountable and he'll challenge him. But the teaching and there's an upbeat juice around this organization that's really fun. That you can kind of it's palpable. You can you can really sense it, and it starts with him uh, being energetic, upbeat. I'm sure he's tough to work for because he's one of these guys who probably sleeps like three hours because he's <laughs> that kind of that kind of guy. But that's what makes him so special. He can back up what he's talking about. And he can actually show the guys. And I don't know. He, he And he also does this that's really impressive to me. I can't tell you how many times I, as I'm watching the game, I would put my headset down and say, I'd sub that guy out of the game in a heartbeat. I'm tired of his. He can't make a damn shot. This is me talking. <laughs> and he, after the game, will say, I, I think it's coming. I believe in this guy. I believe in this guy. And I think having belief in your players uh, brings out an awful lot of confidence in them. He doesn't, he doesn't quit on guys very easily. And talk about development, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, where did he come from? A late second round pick, uh, you know, talk about a guy that's under the radar. And wow, he's just been fantastic. Now he's got the thumb injury. When's he coming back from that, by the way, no, Tim? I don't know. They, they, they're pretty sick. It's like, the, it's like the New England Patriots. And you never know what you're <laughs> going to get with that. But I think in the next few weeks, you know what they're good at, though? They know they're good at development. So what they saw with Dinwiddie was, okay, we like guards that are tall and athletic. Dinwiddie's the fastest guy on the team. If you got really good speed, really good quickness, and, and they know that they can, they might be able to mold people. So I mean, your your development, uh, you got to target the right kind of guys too that are hardworking, that have this, the physical attributes that would improve also. And I think Dinwiddie was a perfect candidate. He was six six. He's the fastest guy on the team. He jumps the highest. He has the quickest first step. So they were able to just kind of hone his skills, improve his shooting, 
and, and allow him to utilize that in the style they play uh, because he can really get by people with his speed. And finally, the team is, is starting to get healthy. Uh, Dinwiddie's absence, notwithstanding, Karis LeVert has finally come back, and you know he'll he'll round into form with a few more games, I'm sure. So, when this team is fully healthy, what's the ceiling? Um, you know, something I, I'm more cautious than everybody. I don't know if you look at the schedule that's coming up right now. Yeah, it, it is. I think the Nets play an incredibly difficult schedule. Uh, I think. I think getting into the playoffs would be an enormous accomplishment for this organization. I think that would be, and they may not do it. People are just assuming that there are there's four teams from six to ten uh, that are within two within a couple games. Nets clearly have the toughest schedule, but I think that the ceiling would be get into the playoffs, maybe get a game or two, and and here's the real ceiling: be attractive enough that a player that other players around the league look and say, hey, you know, something something special is going on over there. It, that's a good atmosphere. The guys really like it. The facilities are unbelievable. Their training staff is really good. Um, and maybe, maybe attract uh, the right kind of free agent to add to these guys. Or you keep doing it the way the Nets are doing it right now. Because Jared Allen is a player we haven't talked about. He's 20 years old. And just keep getting a little bit better. But I think to get to that upper echelon, get to that next ceiling level, uh, probably a, probably the right free agent will probably have to be added to this group. So make Brooklyn, make Brooklyn a basketball destination. We know how it's resurrected its fortunes in terms of a hip place to live and work, but you got to make it a basketball mm-hmm. destination if you're battling anymore to get those top guys because that's what we've seen in basketball. You better have that that those superstars – uh, and look, the Nets have a lot of young, developing guys, but you got to have those big names that want to come to where uh, to, to where you are, right? Yeah no, yeah, no, but you can't get there without showing them that you're pretty good in the first place. Yep. You know what I mean? They've got to see that there's a chance. And then sometimes two guys come together, so they might say, "Wow, they got this piece, they got this piece." They're young, and it might not be again. It might not be this year. It might be. It might not be for next year. It might, but at some point in time, I think the elite free agent um, wants it comes to a place where he could put him over the top to, to go for a championship. I don't know that uh, people would think that already. It might be that in between guy they're able to attract this year, which is great too. Which and- is great too. It's a great step because even if they don't bring in so-called big free agents. <clears throat> I'm curious to see what these players end up being next year. You know what I mean? I see Karis LeVert every year get so much better. I see D'Angelo Russell. I see these guys getting better. So even if they don't, it's exciting just to watch the process of, um, of the players that they have and the ones that they will, uh, ones that they will draft. Uh, and they have, and they've done a great, a great job in that area. If you want to get good in the NBA, we talk about free agents. But before that, you you might get one or two free agents. You have to draft and develop at a very high level. In the last couple of years, uh, Nets have done a great job. Might take a year or two more. And well, and off topic a little bit, and you don't have to comment on it, but that's why I'm not sure everyone getting on this Knicks bandwagon that they're going to be a destination for two, you know, max contracts. Why? Just because it's New York City, they haven't shown the ability to win. So why does Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving necessarily want to come to New York? I know Kyrie's a Jersey guy, but at any rate, uh, you got to win. These guys want to win. But I I also think there's a chance they could come, too. I I, I I I I wouldn't wouldn't downplay it because 
uh, New York is still a special place. You know, whether it be Brooklyn or, or the Knicks, it's a special yeah. place. If they, they made an impact there, it might be a challenge that they're looking to do it since they've had, uh, you know, other success. But we'll have to wait and see. But for the most part, you have to show that you're pretty, you're awful good. Uh, you're usually good, and, and, and the elite free agent could put you over the top. And look, you know, the Brooklyn Nets are a nice story in the NBA in New York City, uh, which is a segue over to, as Matt brought up, the other team, the Knicks. And uh, what's your overall thought, Tim, on the Knicks uh, moving on from Chris Stapp's Porzingis? Um, well, I, I don't I think that they're on. Um, I think their management, I think it starts, you know, with, you know, their upper management um they know. They know. I think they know what they're doing. I think they probably had a sense that maybe he might not have been a lock to resign there. So maybe. Hey, listen, we gotta we gotta sell high right here. I thought they got a lot. I think they want to start from the bottom and build up and 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 take the long approach and not take any shortcuts. I, if, and I mean, they might because they have free agents. If they get free agents, it'll be a shortcut. But you'll you'll welcome that. Uh, listen, I think they're really smart people. The people with really good uh, reputations. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I just kind of pay attention to the Nets. I, I follow the Knicks because you can't help it, but um, it's be interesting to see. I, 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 but I think they they have some talented people over there. I would really like both teams to be really good. Almost like you know when when the Devils Rangers Islanders when they're go, when they're all good, there's a juice. Mm-hmm. That would be so much fun to have the Knicks good and the Nets good at the same time. Just from my Great. standpoint, I'd like to have the Nets a little bit better. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> Understood. So, uh, you know, Karis LeVert, let's go back to him, because that was an awful injury in November, yeah. Tim. So he's back. I mean, I'd imagine um, he's not 100% yet, though. What's How's he uh, progressing? No, his rhythm is off. His rhythm isn't great, but his fear is not there. I know you've seen so many athletes come back from injury, and the one thing you worry about, are they thinking when they're attacking the basket? Are they cautious? You see that even with Gordon Hayward right now of the Boston Celtics. He has a cautiousness about him that sometimes takes a couple years to overcome. Levert doesn't have that right now, which is great. He's explosive. He's going. He's just not finishing. He's He's, his feel for the game, the game is a little fast for him right now. Uh, give him a few more games. This all-star break, I'm sure, was good for him. But get him back into the speed of the game. And uh, he is really a special player. So he he could be uh, very, very good. That was a, that was a scary injury. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yet, fortunate, it, was a, it, was a looked, it looked a little worse than it was. Uh, but, boy, it still was a, a serious injury. No doubt. And uh, the fact that he was able to come back uh... – Pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing story and, and such a talented player. So it's awfully good to see him back on the court. So if the Nets make the playoffs, if that's, you know, where you see them, the importance of, of their next step is to get into the postseason. And they are battling with some teams and it's it's a, you know, nip and tuck battle. Who comes out of these? Let's look at some of the top teams. Uh, is it Milwaukee's? Crown, Eastern Crown to lose, so to speak. Uh, Toronto, obviously, is right there. Philly and Boston. Who do you see coming out? No, how about I mean, how about at the trade deadline? How was I the arms race that took place, right? <laughs> I mean, whether it be whether it be Toronto getting Marcus Saul, Philadelphia getting Tobias Harris to go with their talent. Milwaukee's just been a great story, whether it be Giannis or how about the way Brooke Lopez has contributed to how they've played. Uh Indiana's playing much better right now. No, no I think I, I think it's hard to predict who's gonna come out of the East. I still think obviously Golden State's the best team in the league. 
Um, the, and, and but the East is interesting. There's talent. It's going to be a really good race. It's going to be a terrific playoff. Uh, and uh, there are three or four teams. Those those top three teams, um, top you know top four teams, could really have really made themselves better. It's going to be this last third of the season. It's interesting when our the All Star break is used to be a little bit closer, and you play like thirty five games. Now it's like it's a sprint right now. It's like twenty two, twenty three games, and it's going to be fun to watch the Eastern Conference. Is Golden State vulnerable, even though in your opinion that you know they're still the team to beat? Um, no, <laughs> no, I don't know if they are, you know, I don't know if they, I think they'll, I think they'll go to another level in this next, in this next, I just think again, though, everybody thinks it's all players. I think Steve Kerr deserves a lot of credit. I, I, I don't think they just assume, well, since Durant got there, it's easy to say it's all players, but they remember they won 71 games to the year before he came to that team. And I think Steve Kerr's job as a coach is um, is really underrated. And uh, the way he's been able to keep a group together and all that, and, and they're very good defensively. Uh, I, I don't know if they're vulnerable. Now, I, I, they're still the, they'll lose a game here, a game there, but they're, they're, they're the best team, no doubt about it. Timmy, tell us how this sure. all started. You know, you mentioned how long you've been with the Nets now. How did it all begin? We know that you coached at Wagner, and you were a baseball coach at Wagner before you were a basketball coach, we'll point out, by the way. But at any rate, uh, how did it all start for you? How did you get in the business? Uh, I, 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 no, I, was a co- I was a college basketball coach. I went to Wagner College, so I, I, uh, I, I played both baseball and basketball there. I then coached there a couple of years, went to Siena College, and uh, we had really good success there. Got into the NCAA tournament. Because I knew everybody at Wagner, I was hired as a head coach at about 29 years old. So I was very young, and I had some good years and built it up. And then I probably stayed too long and then didn't do a good enough job. And so they got rid of me. But as I was moving along, I would have to speak at these weekly luncheons for the, the college coaches and uh, for the media. And I, I found that uh, people were counting on me to entertain or whatever, and people would always say, you know, you're not really that big of a name, but you should really go into broadcasting if, if it doesn't work out. So I, I kept that in mind and would work on uh, NCAA tournament shows while I was still a coach. And then when I got fired, and uh, I, I really tried to put 100% into it, but again, I wasn't one of these guys that was a, a household name that could call up ESPN and go there. So I had to, um, I had to go... Uh, you know, a different route and just get any game I could volunteer here. Volunteer. It took me a couple of years. And then uh, one time though, I, I had been doing some college games and uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets were kind of in a jam and nobody knew me there. It's funny how things work out, right? I, I would broadcast, but then I would try, I would try to be in broadcasting, but every day I would drive to Long Island to a basketball facility to coach any kid in any program I could. So I drive out to Long Island. Well, the next job opens up, and who's in my one of my groups but Mike Breen's son. Huh. So Mike Breen's okay. son is in one of my groups, and Jack Armstrong, who's a co- uh, broadcaster out at in Toronto, Toronto said, yeah. you know, um, uh, the Brooklyn Nets had called him, would you, would you consider coming to Brooklyn? And he said, no, but I got a guy for you, Tim Capstraw, who I've heard of. Everybody knows is, is pretty good. You should hear him. And, and nobody knew who I was. But Mike, but I, because I was coaching Mike Breen's son, 
Mike Green called up. You should hear this. You should talk to this guy. Talk to this guy. He said, he said, listen, he doesn't know that much about the NBA, but he's fun to hang out with, and you got to travel <laughs> with him. So it'll be a lot of fun until, while he learns how to do the job. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how it happened. It was uh, when things were kind of moving around with the Nets. Uh, with some, uh, that was a long time ago right now, but I, I had to go in and maybe Matt can appreciate it. I had to go on an interview with Lou Amarillo. I had to go <laughs> walk in his office. And I was never so uh, intimidated in my life. <laughs> Worried about this, you know, because he had heard about Lou Amarillo for a long time. And uh, I walk in, and I thought it would be a big interview. And he goes, and he pointed to all these pictures, all these Big East coaches, because he was a Big East athletic director. He goes, he talked to me, he goes, he goes, you sound like you're as full of crap as these guys. You'll be fine. And that was my interview. <laughs> Uh, well, he, he goes. Let's go watch. Let's go watch hockey practice. I went and watched hockey practice with Lou Amarillo, and it was unbelievable. And it was, and uh, you know, he was talking about coaching, and it, it was wonderful. Uh, it was. So I was nervous, and but that's how I got my foot in the door. And uh, it has been, uh, and I know Matt, you can appreciate this. You know, being involved in professional sports or working with Chris Carino is one of the great treats uh, I've had. And, and he's so talented. And um, just being a part of it, even when they're not winning, people think, oh, is it tough? I, I can't believe I'm doing this. I get to go to these games. So it's I'm really, really lucky. Yeah, yeah you and Chris are a great team. Yeah, no Chris, Chris has been on the show, too. Terrific guy. So tell us this, Tim. Tell us about the shift from the Meadowlands to Brooklyn and the feel in Brooklyn. Oh, it's good. It's, it's good. It's really. I mean, it's 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 a great. It was it, it was impressive. I think what they did not estimate though was that you know I think they thought they had to make a splash when they went to Brooklyn and be really good to over, try mm-hmm. to overtake the Knicks. Mm-hmm. I think if they just went to Brooklyn and just the, the Barclays Center, uh, I know you see it for hockey. It doesn't look as impressive for hockey, but for basketball, it is really one of the elite. Uh, venues in, 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 in basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think if they just went there organically and said, hey, listen, we're not that good, but we're going to get better and better and work at it, they, pro- uh, they probably could have survived a few years like that. They didn't have to try to make massive trades. But uh, the Barclays Center is really nice. It's really it's gaining momentum. It's like everything, though. You, you want to win. And then uh, the people, I, I can tell right now, everybody's calling me for tickets. They assume uh, I have tickets, right. and I don't. Yep. And uh, and now it's getting harder because now the Nets are making a playoff sure. push. So, I mean, I think, the, you know, the Knicks are still the Knicks. Let's be honest, even when they're not good. But the Nets don't mind being, being that other team that everybody respects and everybody likes also. Mm-hmm. But the Barclays Center, the scene over there, uh, the ease with uh, – it's not perfect for New Jersey people because you have, it's, you might have to drive in there, but the access to all the trains, it's really a beautiful place. And you know how Brooklyn is. Brooklyn's turned that area of Brooklyn's turned out to be the coolest place to be. So it's been, it's been terrific. Yeah. Well, Timmy, thanks very much for your time. By the way, you're not the only one who was nervous or who's ever been nervous meeting Lou Lamorello. There's something about the guy <laughs> that just makes people uh, kind of on edge, but what a great executive. Uh-huh. And uh, I tip my cap to him, and he's been great for me in my career. But thanks very much for yeah, joining us too. today. Yeah, right, Tim, thank Tim, you. thanks great again. You guys. Okay, take care. All right, All right say right. hi to Chris and, and have a great broadcast. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you. And that's Tim Capstraw, the Nets 
color analyst on the radio side. And yeah, the Nets are playing well, Matt. And like I said, uh, at least uh, there's an exciting story uh, in the NBA in New York. Yeah, more chapters, obviously, to be read in this book of a season. Uh, they are in a playoff spot, but there's a battle there. And I, I think yeah, he didn't he didn't say it was automatic. Well, no. no. And I think he's being realistic. They lost six of eight mm, coming yeah. into the All-Star break. So what they'll need to do is not pick up where they left off because it wasn't that good, but they need to be able to sustain that energy the rest of the way. I think it is an important step because off of that terrible November, they have put themselves into the conversation. And when you get there, you know, people want tickets, as he said, and yeah. you don't want to take I gotta that say, step I have back. not been to the Barclays Center yet, and I, 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 can't, I can't believe that. I mean, I love, uh, you know, but listen, I haven't been to the Garden in a while either. You know, it's kind of been more college basketball for me lately because, you know, and I used to go to the Garden all the time when the Knicks were playing well, but I got to get over to, the point is, I got to get over to Brooklyn. They're, that's exciting basketball right now. There's, you know, sixth place in the uh, Eastern Conference and, uh, and uh, you know, it's it's exciting. Now, it's Just not, don't ask Tim for tickets no, because not, obviously he doesn't tickets. have any. But you said it's not so good for hockey, though. No, it's not. It was okay. it was not built for right. hockey. Uh, could get into a yeah. long story. Yeah, it's, but, it's really not worth it. But, you know, the Islanders weren't sure they were moving. The financial crisis hits yeah. in 2008, thereabouts. Right. And uh, Bruce Ratner, who was building uh, the building, uh, approached the Islanders and said, hey, I need to know whether or not you're coming or not. Charles Wong said, nah, I think we're going to try to make it work here on Long Island. And so they changed. They took a lot of money out of the uh, construction, mm-hmm. uh, the design. They changed things around, and it really is. It's not. Just really, it's uh, not a, it's not a well, hockey yeah. building. The seats aren't angled right. There are obstructed views. So it, it just never really became, has become a good one. Well, for it the is Islanders. a basketball building, and the, oh, yeah. and the Nets are uh, the Nets are on the up and up. It's, uh, it's exciting stuff, and uh, we're going to have him back on for sure. So uh, thanks again to, to uh, Tim for coming on, and that'll do it for our podcast. It's the More Sports Now podcast. Check out our site, moresportsnow.com. We got a blog. We write. We got a one-minute piece. Uh, audio piece uh, as well so check that out on our site of course on facebook twitter and instagram as well i'm steve titchener here with matt lachlan we'll catch you all next week bye bye